Welcome back to the Heat Check Podcast. I am your host, Chris Patrick. With me today, my co-host, the 2002 YMCA Basketball All-Star Game MVP, Michael Benjamin. What up, what up? How you doing today, big fella? I'm doing great. How are you, Chris? I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I think this is episode 11, and we also got the paralegal for Tom Brady's divorce attorney, VSP Tallman. <laughs> what up, man? How's it going? It's going. It's a good one. It's going. Thank you. Thank you. I'm. How is that work going? Do you think Tom Tom's one and zero since he uh, filed? I think right. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think he's he's gonna be okay. You guys are helping him out. Yeah, That's yeah. good. That's it must good. have been a nice check I, for you, Tom. Man. No, it, it could have been more. Honestly. Could have been more. It's like thankless work. The paralegal work. Pretty much. It? Yeah. Some pro bono. <laughs> Pro bono. Nice. Well, guys, we are here to talk Valley Sports, and the people can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AZ underscore VSP. Of course, on YouTube and Facebook, search Valley Sports Plug, and then type that into Google also, and you'll probably find all of our information. Um, really glad to be here, like I said, and we got a lot to talk about. Hard Knocks happened this week. That that dropped on HBO. That was very interesting to see. Um, a lot to break down with that. We got some Suns magic going on. They lost to the magic. They also have some injuries. Uh, not doing too bad overall in the rankings, but we got some stuff to talk about there. And then um, at the end, I think we'll talk a little bit about the Coyotes. And um, that might be... We, we always said we wouldn't talk hockey, but, but here we are. But Let's get right into it, guys. What did you think of Hard Knocks? I think we'll kick it over to VSP Tallman first. Uh, we were talking a little bit about it last night, and there's just, it's just a little corny, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know. I felt like embarrassed for them watching it. <laughs> and it's a, what a great time where it's like, here, look at our football team, you know, and it's, I think it, a lot of it just felt so forced. Um, like embarrassing. I I don't know. I like you said, corny, just staged. It was like watching reality TV, which I know it's kind of like what they're going for. But and it was just right. sad. I mean, I I mean you could tell those guys are under so much pressure. It's unbelievable. But um, I love watching the whole thing. All them preparing for the game, and you know the game already happened. You're like you guys just got your ass beat by the Seahawks again yeah, watching them all. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whatever. And then, uh, Cliff Kingsbury's corny little, uh, trying to hype them up, you know, stick together. Yo, we stick together and blah, blah, blah. It's mm -hmm. just, ah, oh, man, it was, it was rough to watch. Well, it's like we've been saying on our live streams, like there's only so many times that you can say like, oh, it's still early in the season. We can get them next time. Um, we're running out of times to get them next time. I think I just we were talking about how we're we've won. We've lost four of our last five games. The Cardinals have and the only win coming against the Saints where the defense was really strong and carried. I think that that effort in a lot of ways. But Michael Benjamin, as far as Hard Knocks goes, what are your overall thoughts on it from what you saw in the first episode? I still think entertainment like that is a cool introspective to take a look into the everyday workings of, you know, specifically for us, our favorite football franchise. So you get to see what some of these guys are really like, their personalities. You know, it seems like they're trying to make Buda Baker the star, which deservedly oh, yeah. so he is an all pro safety and and one of the best in the league so they're trying to get kind of hyper focused on him and 
you know, it was also a good time to start focusing on DeAndre Hopkins because he just kind of got back into the fold and has started to really solidify himself into the, you know, the offense once again. But obviously not last week after he got his touchdown, wasn't really looked at again. Yeah. But I'm with you guys. Some of it is just, it it just feels a little bit forced. And I, I think that's just hard to do in general when the cameras are really right on top of you. Everybody yeah. changes a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you know things are going to be going out into the world, sometimes you won't be fully candor about some stuff because you want to kind of keep a certain image in regards to certain things. But that's why I really like to see the stuff on the field because you forget about all of the cameras. You're really just hyper-focused on what's going on on the field. And you saw it with that spat between Hopkins and Kyler Murray and... I did get a nice little chuckle after they started to kind of go after each other. Cliff Kingsbury's over here trying to huddle the offense together. And he says like three things and walks away. Like didn't even like stand around to try and get a feel for the rest of his team. He was just like, it's what we're doing. Let's get it together. And turned and hightailed it out of there as fast as possible. Because it's like at the end of the day, it is like Cliff too. It's, it's what you're doing, Cliff. You're the one who's calling the plays. When he did hold it, huddle them all together, like offense, offense, dude, no one was even like paying attention to him. Did you guys see that? <laughs> yeah, like he, Kyler's like turning around, like look, looking uh, this way, that way. It's like, dude, yeah. your head coach is trying to tell you something. Like you guys need to be hyper focused on that. I think that's the one thing that was really hyper, or I mean, was made really obvious is that he doesn't have control of that locker room he has oh, he no they have it. no respect he's lost the locker he room entirely year, I think. and i said i said on the heat check podcast live earlier this week that cliff kingsbury looks like a scared say it he looks like a scared pussy <laughs> on the sideline man he just he, he you can see the fear in his eyes he knows he's playing for his job i mean it's just speaking about people I don't know. I like Buda Baker a lot, but to see him crying and pleading with his guys, telling them to work harder, to stay later, to study more, and just makes me remember that Kyler Murray had a study addendum in his contract that was that was removed, but why was it there to begin with? And, and so, like, is that a subtle message he's sending to not only Kyler Murray, but other guys on the locker that maybe he perceives as not working as hard? Like we've talked about time and again how much potential this roster has and the players on it, but I mean they some of them can't even stay healthy. I mean, what Tallman, what did you make of Buda Baker being reduced to tears in that moment? And that clip was even released before this Wednesday. Uh it made him look desperate. That's I mean, that's really first thing that came to mind and overall, I mean, that's what it is. You know, they're desperate, he's desperate to try to you know figure something out and i mean it was it was almost hard to watch too yeah i mean you, you like to see that passion and that fire and you know one of the leaders in the locker room but i mean he was just desperate you could hear it in his voice and yeah it's i mean hey they are desperate you know and, and that game was a must win like the last two weeks but i think it really was a must that was their season yeah and i think it's over now and- but I was just um, going to say, like, on top of that with Buda, to stay on Buda Baker, like, when he is the, like, 
you can hear the people in the press box when they're showing Bidwell and whoever else is up there saying like, I wish everyone would try as hard as Buddha does. Like he's all over the place. Like he tries so hard. Cause one of the, was it the linebackers coach was like, Hey, I would like to see someone try harder than Buddha this week. Like try to try harder than fucking Buddha. Yeah. What would that be like? What would that be like if we all played as hard as Buddha? Like, cause that was one of the clips, right? It was one of the, when they're in the, like the, I think it was the linebackers room. Was it that Mm -hmm. where he, and I mean, that's just, come on. I, I just think that you're stuck in a really sticky situation in regards to how you address a team. Specifically when we're talking about what happened with Buda Baker, there's some guys who are going to be all in and really take that heart to heart and say, you know, and look themselves in the mirror and say, Hey, you know what? Exactly. What, what do I need to do to get better? What can I improve on to make sure that we're headed in the direction for success for this team. But then there's going to be guys who don't give a single fuck, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, that's why it's yeah. so hard to really be a leader of men for a unit like a football team. There are so many more guys in there. It's not just players, but you have a lot of people on your coaching staff. You have a lot of people who just are ins and outs and, and it's talking to basically close to over a hundred guys and it's hard to get everybody on the same page to follow along with the same message. And I mean, yeah, going back to when Cliff Kingsbury was addressing that offense, you could see AJ green in the back, like just literally like looking at the stands, the head in the clouds like he doesn't yeah. care at all anymore his his job is basically gone especially after they traded for Robbie Anderson but oh I, <laughs> I I feel like I would be in the camp that I would appreciate the expression that Buda Baker does if I were like in that room at the same time where it's like yeah man like I hate losing at home too but it's also a job like I don't know if you need to be moved to tears to motivate me. But that's just one person and this exactly goes back to the conversation that I'm having. Everybody thinks a different way and it's hard to get everybody juiced going forward. Yeah. From that, but I I I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of sad at the end of the day. Yeah, sad, desperate. I think it, there's a lot to be said for that that outburst and he does play his heart out, so I don't want to take that away from him, but at the end of the day, like it is sad. It, it does come off desperate and it does kind of suck that that's maybe his perception is that his teammates don't work as hard as he does. And honestly, I think we're seeing the product of that with their with their overall record right now at three and six. Like it's just inexcusable. And when you talk, Mike, when you talk about the leaders of your team and Kyler Murray, especially he's t- what do you feel about him telling everyone to calm the fuck down all the time? We've seen it now with on Hard Knocks telling DeAndre Hopkins to calm the fuck down. And when him and uh, Cliff Kingsbury were getting into a spat. He told him the same thing. Is that what your leader does is just yell at everyone else around him? It works for Tom Brady, I guess, sometimes. Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, it, but, okay, so he can say that, but like honestly, like we can't calm the fuck down. You know, like we need to figure it out and get going. Like we're at panic mode right now. And I mean, we talked a bunch about him. Um, telling Cliff to calm the fuck down. Like, you don't talk to your head coach like that. And how come the head coach is allowing that? Right. But I loved it with Hopkins coming out and, and calling him out 
at least somebody on the team's going to call. What do you say? You, how did you not see me? I was yeah, wide open. It was like, wide open. Yeah. Like, give me the ball. And he told him to calm the fuck down. I'll, I'll, I'll get you I'll the get ball. You the ball. And, then and then he then didn't he did it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, it's rough. Well, but, I mean, and his answer to that is more deflective than anything. It, yeah. it could be looked at from D-Hop as constructive criticism to be like, hey, man, I'm a guy in two games who has averaged over 12 targets mm-hmm. and has become the focal point of the offense after sitting out the first six weeks, and you need me because everybody else is just struggling to find their way. So look for me. And for him to come out and basically just be like, hey, man, calm the fuck down. That's deflecting an opportunity for you to make sure that you're paying attention to everything that's on the field. Yeah. And that's a that's not what a leader does, right? When somebody's animated, you can come up and say, hey, you need to relax a little bit. Let's take a look at this and move forward from there. But to tell somebody to basically shut the fuck up, like, yeah. I'm not ready to ride for you when you do things like that, right? It's dismissive. Exactly. You're dismissing his, like you said, possibly constructive criticism. And that's not even like, it's not even a mean thing to say to say, hey, I was wide open. Like, that's a fact. And so he needs to respect that and be like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't see you. Like, it's like, okay, it's like, okay I'll, I'll, look, I'll look for you. Like, I'll get you the ball. I'll look for you. You don't have to tell him to shut the fuck up. Like, these are grown men. But I want to also not forgive DeAndre Hopkins necessarily. I mean, in that instance, you can. But overall, I think we also... I wouldn't say DeAndre Hopkins looked great on Hard Knocks. He almost comes across like a bit of a diva where... I, I forget, Cody, which uh, coach did you say it was was sitting there hyping him up? And, and Hopkins was like, oh, am I going to make the Hall of Fame? Yeah, it was uh, um, Jefferson. What's his first name? It's... it's uh, Is it Sean Jefferson? Sean, yeah. He's the dad of the wide receiver for the Rams. Vance Jefferson? Oh, Vance oh, Jefferson. Yeah. Is that, yeah. No, is it Vance? Well, Chelsea. Vance Jefferson is the wide receiver, I believe. Or Van Jefferson? Something around there. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was yeah, it was the dude with the um Yeah, it was Van. Yeah, it was Jefferson. But he's like, "You're special. <laughs> You're special." Oh, yeah. It's and hyping him up and like I mean, I I knew the guy was cocky, but I didn't know he was that cocky, man. And when he's like uh he's like, "Well, I, I wish my team would have, you know, done better without <laughs> yeah. me." Yeah. Uh, and then it, I don't know. And then there was a what was it? Um, was a Cliff was talking to the wide receiver coach, and they're talking about how it was such a big difference to have DeAndre on the on the practice field. Right. You know, it's like, like, is it really like we can't succeed without this guy? And it's getting to his head. Like his head's so fucking big, he can't even fit through the door. It's crazy. I mean, but the truth of the matter is, even though he's come back, like there is no success. Like we've got one game. That one game, him. yeah. I know it's a smaller sample size, but you can't completely switch the narrative 180 and say, "Oh yeah, just look at everything that he's done." We've come out the last two uh, the last two weeks and looked flat as hell once again. But I, <laughs> when Jefferson was like piping him up and that kind of stuff, it was just so weird to see D Hop like over on the side and he was like, "Yeah." Yeah, you think so? Like, right. ooh, like, yeah. like, ooh, like, ooh, like, this like, is not. <laughs> like, it was just so freaking weird. But it's also like, it goes back to the conversation about different guys need to be led different ways. Is DeAndre Hopkins the kind of guy that needs to basically have Sean. his have his balls Jefferson. tickled yeah. t- 
to go out there and perform on a consistent basis and told how great he is. I don't know if that's the kind of guy that I want for longevity, but at the same time, it's like you're focused on the wrong things. Yeah, dude, the Hall of Fame is probably coming for him. His numbers are there. He has been successful within this league for a number of years, has been an an all-pro and considered one of the best wide receivers in the league for a long time now. That's yeah. great. That's yeah. fine and dandy. But before going into that week, you're three and five. Let's not worry about the Hall of Fame. Let's worry about how I can lead my other receivers in this room around me who have possibly been struggling to give them some momentum to catch up to where I'm at only two games in. Like that's what I would want my top guy to be focusing on to bring everybody else with me to that next level. Right. Do you think that Larry Fitzgerald would ever be asking and worrying about making the Hall of Fame? No. Even without a Super Bowl, I think he's a surefire Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. And he will definitely be there. But oh, he, yeah. do you think, I don't think he was ever worried about it. And that's the difference between a true leader and a guy who's just worried about looking in, out for himself and individual yeah. stuff. And while, while we're still talking about hard knocks before we move on, I do also want to speak on another corny part of it. When they were in that restaurant, with him and uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons. Simmons, DeAndre Hopkins and Isaiah Simmons, and they even had the chef or whoever throw in a couple lines about like, yeah, if you guys played better defense, you would have won, or some some like throwaway line like that. And it's just this is the corniness of all the production, and like like you said, Mike, like there is some of that like when you have a mic, a camera on you, and a microphone, like. It's not going to be natural. Like we even saw that with, I think, with Budavaker's sister and whoever that other lady <laughs> was in the stands. Like you just say like kind of awkward stuff, and maybe like I don't know, maybe I don't realize. Like maybe I say awkward stuff just naturally without a camera on me, but it just seemed it just all seemed very produced. And I don't know if that's going to get maybe that maybe they'll all get as this goes on, they'll get more comfortable with having cameras on them and stuff like that. But boy, uh, looks like that this Hard Knocks crew, uh, the film crew, is going to be following a dud of a team unless they can really turn it around. Um, I don't know if it was shown on Hard Knocks or not, but also also news I think that was breaking was that Bidwell was watching game film with Vance Joseph and Cliff Kingsbury. And for those who don't know, or if you don't know, Michael Bidwell is the owner of the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, He was featured on Hard Knocks. He he flies a plane. It was pretty cool. But... (laughs) Um, he was he watches game film with the head coach and the and the defensive coordinator. I mean, because the head coach is also the offensive coordinator. Tallman, is that is that something that's concerning to you? Like, does it kind of remind you of Robert Sarver getting too involved with the team, or do you trust that Michael Bidwell knows what he's doing? Yeah, it does sound like uh, Robert a little bit. That's what um, I. That was my first yeah, like thought. yeah. And then you just it just worries you just him meddling around with it too much, but. Um, I, I don't know if that's normal. I mean, do we know if that's normal? Do, I don't, does I don't the owner know. usually do that? You know, I I, I don't know. I, don't I mean, think, I'm not too worried about it. Like Jerry Jones probably does. Oh, that yeah. would probably oh, be yeah. that type of shit. Totally, yeah. totally. But then you got to think, because um, you Michael Bidwell was the one that put that study clause into Kyler's contract. So if he's sitting there watching game film with the coaches, he's probably sitting there like, shit, our my quarterback, the guy that I'm going to pay over $200 million, he's not that good. He's got to get better. So I'm yeah. going to put this clause in there. So I think that 
him watching all that game film and talking with the coaches, I think that was probably the main reason why that clause was put in there. And I don't know. I'm not too worried about him watching film, but is that normal? Who knows? If I was an owner and a fan of football, I would probably do the same thing because I just want to be involved. I want to see what's going on with my team. I want to hear from my people that I hired to be bosses on what's going on and what they're seeing on a day-to-day basis or a game-to-game basis. Now, there's a, a large difference than if you're going into the game film and saying, oh, you know what, I like uh, these plays that Isaiah Simmons has been, you know, he's been really uh, great on the run. We need to get him more involved on uh, run-down defenses. Like directly or, getting involved in the gameplay. Yeah, or, you know, I haven't seen Robbie Anderson get put into situations to catch a ball yet. Let's make sure that he's out there 60% of the snaps. <laughs> now, if that was the case, and obviously we don't really know if that's the case, that becomes a problem because you hire your coordinators and your coaches to be the football minds to handle the game plan. Yeah. But if you want to be an owner who goes in and just hears kind of what's going on, it's basically like, you know, when management has a weekly meeting just to see kind of where you're at, I mean, that's not different from any job. Professional football at the end of the day is a job. So if the guy who owns the whole thing, who has to pay all these guys a whole boatload of money, wants to see what you're doing, I'm okay with that. Like, I, I don't have a problem with that. And it goes back to like what you guys were saying with Robert Sarver. The problem with Robert Sarver is he was undercutting the people that he put in power for decisions, like his GM who wanted to re-sign Joe Johnson. Same things with, you know, back in the day when we had guys who were cohesive parts of these units and he didn't want to pay guys. That directly is on him and that affects the team as a whole. Michael Bidwell's going in there and being like, oh man, those screens sucked. Hopefully it changes, <laughs> but he keeps it in his mind and he's not like trying to force things on your coaches. Then I don't, I don't see it as a negative. I just see it as a guy who wants to be involved. And I think we talked about it before. I mean, this is his only job now, you know, he's not a lawyer anymore. This is he owns the Cardinals. This is what he does. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even put him on the same page as a Jerry Jones because Jerry Jones is out there making sure that he's at weekly press conferences and talking to the media. That becomes an issue. Oh, yeah. Do you think Bidwell's like telling them what to do when they watch film? I don't think so. Well, no, until those reports, yeah, I think you think like, it's just, hey, what's going on? Bring up the speed. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if, if it is what Mike is saying, where it's just he's trying to get. Um, you know, an understanding of what's going on, their perspective, you know, be in the know. Uh, I think that's fine. But I think if he's trying to make recommendations, if those reports start coming out where he's trying to dictate the the game plan and the, the offense or defense or either way, then I think that might be a different story because I don't know Michael Bidwell's football background. And I think that's the point of being an owner is that you hire people that are more knowledgeable than you and more capable in those areas and you trust their opinion. Um, and especially when you're talking about the NFL, the highest level, there's a large pool of candidates for that position that are probably way more knowledgeable of football than Michael Bidwell. I mean, I can be a GM in Madden. I cannot be a GM in the NFL. Probably. I don't think I could do it. But besides the fact I did want to mention, I think it's a notable thing to say that Kyler Murray is 0 and 1 since Call of Duty came out. Oh, 
So we're going to have to start tracking his stats is he, from Is he 10 prestige yet? I don't know. I haven't. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen him go live. I think he's probably smarter than to stream on Twitch. He probably doesn't stream. If he's smart, he won't stream during the season. But he'll probably play. You know, he's playing. He's playing. He's just not streaming. He knows the narrative around him now. Right. That could go to like if Hard Knocks were to show him one day, like at his house playing Call of Duty or playing video games, just video (laughs) games in in general. It would be the freaking biggest thing on Twitter for a week. I swear to God, it would be. I'm 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 kind of nervous for this next episode of Hard Knocks to come out this week. Like that first one was embarrassing, uh, and then I think it'll be it'll they they're going with each week now, so it's like whatever's going to happen tomorrow against the Rams, like that'll be featured on the episode. But I agree with with the Call of Duty stuff, man. Like it's 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 interesting. It's something that I'll I'll have to keep an eye on, but I don't think he's going to stream it. Well, sure. Warzone 2.0 is like coming out, or it just came mm-hmm. out too, right? So oh. Boy. I just remembered what I was going to mention. Um, I think it was, is it Nick Chubb that's the running back in Cleveland? Yeah. I don't know if it's a true story or if I was reading some fake shit, but I heard that he bought a Xbox One and a PS5 this offseason. Um, he doesn't play video games, though. He just logs on the night before games so he can check to see if his teammates are online. And then he texts them to get off and go to bed. Dude, that is freaking gangster. <laughs> right? Serious. Talk about accountability. That's accountability. That's, that's dedication. Awesome. And they were saying, and literally in like the post, I was like, they were like, the Cardinals need to trade for him ASAP <laughs> so he can tell Kyler to go to bed before games. Kyler would probably give him a freaking spam uh, Xbox account name or oh, gamer yeah. tag. He was blocking him. Play under. Yeah, <laughs> Kyler probably has multiple accounts so he can play with certain people and certain other people won't know. Uh, I love that. But one more thing I want to say, but we I want to talk about the state of the Cardinals more broadly and their upcoming schedule and what they have going on. But Mike, you did mention Robbie Anderson there a bit ago and and him not really getting involved in this offense. He has negative 4 receiving yards on Tom and you always you always got this stat for me. How many uh, receptions is it? One. One reception for one negative reception four yards, for negative but he has multiple yeah. targets, right? Probably yeah. four or five targets. We've five. seen a couple passes bounce off his chest. Uh, we didn't. I don't think we gave up too much for this for this receiver, like a late round pick. But what do you think, Mike? What do you think this is going to shape up to be with Robbie Anderson on this team? Is it going to be a dud and a, a time time fail, or will he turn it around, get acquainted in this offense? It, it, right, you want to give guys some time to start figuring out a new offense. He's only been here for three weeks, so he's still trying to figure out his role, but. I just think there's there's more deep-rooted issues specifically to the offense than no contributions from Robbie Anderson, a guy that we just got. I think they'll try and start to figure out a way to fill him in a little bit more. I mean, but how long does that last? And what happens because we're still missing Hollywood Brown? What happens with him when, when he comes back in? I mean... Rondell Moore has started to kind of figure out his set within this offense as well. They're getting him the ball in space, giving him an opportunity to showcase his speed. And he's become, you know, a higher targeted uh, asset on this offense where to the point it's starting to take away from Zach Ertz. He now has become basically a four target guy where he was eight to 10 targets in the first through the first six weeks. So there's just give and take. The ball can only go around so much. But we were talking about some of those stats in regards to 
the absolute non-air raid offense that we have (laughs) in regards to our inability to throw the football down the field at all, more than 30 yards, you'd hope that they'd start to work into the script, you know, within those first 15, 20 plays that teams normally do to start a game because you want to have something on paper so you can hopefully get some momentum going and then you adjust throughout the game as it goes. But hopefully you put in two or three deep shots where literally you just you know go out and spread put three guys over here Robbie Anderson one-on-one and just try and test it to him at least once I mean what can that hurt it can't I, I feel like it can't hurt anything he's a taller guy if the ball is thrown to any position where he can at least be there to try and make a play for the ball he's either going to be able to catch it or knock the ball down so you're in the same place as you were Whereas throwing these screen passes three, four yards behind the line of scrimmage has done nothing for us all season, and it seems to still be written within the script week yep. after week, like it's gonna change. It's 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 hard to watch, man, because it's like you want to see that. That's what was advertised. Like you guys, you said the air raid offense, and Kyler Murray's just doing these checkdowns. He's becoming captain checkdown, and every quarterback we see, like quarterbacks, can make a living off of checkdowns. Tom Brady does a mean checkdown, but you see guys like Matt Liner. He became the checkdown guy, and then his career fizzled out. So if Kyler Murray's scared to throw it downfield, or if it's Cliff Kingsbury who's scared to draw up plays to get it downfield, I don't know if we just need to get and put all of our money in the offensive line, but it seems like they went the other way and they just want to put all their money into these wide receivers and filling up Kyler Murray with weapons. But Kyler Murray's shown that he can have all the weapons in the world, but if he doesn't have time to get out or around or give himself space to see these receivers downfield, he can't get them the ball. I mean, Tallman, like, what do you think about the wide receiver room and Kyler Murray in particular? Well, it's what we have here, guys. It's a, it's a flag football team. It's, I mean, they literally, they're putting all their draft capital, everything into, you know, offensive skill players. And like you're saying, it is the offensive line. He doesn't have any time to throw the ball down the field. You know, nothing can come together or he's on the ground after four or five seconds or he's running for his life and scrambling and, you know, running to the sideline. So go, going back to your question, the Robbie Anderson thing's a fail. He's an absolute trash can. I... I just I can't get, and then he looks so stupid. Well, cause I mean, he's look had at oppor- his look at his fucking hair. Yeah, well, he's had <laughs> opportunities. Oh like I said, there's been passes that have hit him in the chest, yeah. and he just hasn't and, caught it. Oh, oh, and I'm so there's no oh well, he's only been here for you know x amount of days. He hasn't been able to learn the play. The playbook is screen pass, screen pass, run it. There's the, how hard is the fucking playbook, you know? And then you look at Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, he's in a new offense within 14 days. He threw a touchdown, caught a touchdown, and ran a touchdown all in the same fucking game. His second game with San Francisco. So you're telling me that he he can't run in a straight line? No, it's because the quarterback doesn't have time to get any of these guys the ball. Well, that's what Robbie Anderson was brought in to be, right? A, like a deep threat. That was his thing because he's a little bit of a taller Yeah, because you know, we need another deep threat, right? Well, he was brought in because Hollywood went down, so that was you're trying to kind of mask that because you knew D hop was going to come back. The, I mean, Hollywood got hurt literally the week before D hop was supposed to come back. So you, as a coaching staff, maybe think, well, I mean, you can start to put D hop back into the position that Hollywood was with those kind of 10 yard outs and everything kind of within, but what Hollywood 
would do in regards to stretching the field a little bit more. That's what you were hoping from Robbie Anderson. But it goes back to exactly what we were talking about earlier with its more deep-rooted issues. And exactly like you said, Tallman, I mean, the offensive line, the way that this offensive line was built from before the season started, paying older veteran guys, trying to basically coax Rodney Anderson out of going into Rodney Anderson, Rodney (laughs) Hudson out of retirement. And now he's hurt and now is going to the IR finally. Yeah. Which he should have been on IR probably three weeks ago. I mean, that's the more deep rooted issue. Maybe that's why there is so many screen passes because they're scared for Kyler Murray. They're just like, we need to get the ball out of this guy's hands as soon as we possibly can and see if we can maybe make a play on the outside. Because if you give him any kind of time in the pocket, he, he just, to step back and try and survey the field, he does he doesn't have it. But that's also where the fail is coming from this coaching staff and Cliff Kingsbury in regards to this offense because they're not changing up more items. The screen passes aren't working. Start getting him out in space. Start getting him on the move a little bit more. Yeah. Like, you got to start changing these things up because you're doing what maybe is the right thing, which is getting the ball out early. Mm-hmm. But that way it's not working. You got to try something else. Right. It seems like their whole offensive game plan is so scatterbrained. Like, I'm not a football expert. Obviously, you guys know I'm a good basketball guy. But from what I know is there's a fundamental way to play football where you establish the run to be able to open up the play action. And there is no sense of that whatsoever. There's whatever trick plays, whatever gadget plays, whatever you want to call it, whatever they're running just doesn't get it done. Like it was embarrassing when was it Greg Dorch threw the pass to James Conner. He got the, the first down. But then again, that's another thing. James Conner is starting to show his old ways of not being able to stay healthy. And that kind of hurts their ability to establish the run when you put it on Eno Benjamin who has shown ability to to hold his weight somewhat and to put up some yards but the play calling just seems haphazard three and outs left and right uh interceptions fumbles Kyler Murray can't tuck the football under his arm and run for some reason I don't know what like they need if Cliff Kingsbury was a real coach he would have some some consequences, some responsibility for Kyler Murray. He would say, hey, Kyler, every time I see you for the next week, I want you to be carrying a football under your arm. And that is how you're going to walk into this facility. And that's how you're going to walk all throughout this facility. Wherever you go, you have a football tucked under your arm. And when you scramble out, when you're running out, out, you have that football tucked under your arm. Because if I see you fumble it one more time this season, I'm putting Colt McCoy in for the rest of the game. Now, he probably wouldn't actually do that, but there's no tough love in this offense. It's all this baby back bullshit where Cliff Kingsbury is letting these guys walk all over him. He's running away from conflict. He's a scared little bitch. And I am not afraid to say it. We're we've cursed enough on this pod, so I'm not afraid to say it, but it's, it's a lot of strong emotions. I was telling these guys, obviously, for those of you who've listened to us or friends and family, I'm a Steelers fan. I was raised a Steelers fan, but I was also born and raised here, so I love the Cardinals also. And I'm really, really now coming around to being more of a Cardinals fan than a Steelers fan. And it's not, it's easy. It's not, what am I trying to say? It's not hard to get passionate about these things when it's the hometown team when you believe in them so much when you see so much talent and potential and then they just don't get it done 
Before we move on, Tallman, um, and I'm going to talk about the Cardinals next uh, upcoming couple games, but I know you have some strong emotions also, and uh, Cardinals, you're a, long, you're a lifelong Cardinals fan. As long as you've been a football fan, you've been a Cardinals fan. Um, and right now, we mentioned this offensive line and their struggles, and I just want to give you the floor right now to speak on your feelings on Billy Price and, oh, and his, uh, his upcoming uh, needs on the offensive line. Oh, Billy. He's like the... Off offensive line version of uh, who's the guy that who's the wide receiver? Andy Isabella. Isabella, yeah. He's yep. the offensive line. He's like a fat Andy Isabella. He is horrible. I mean, how does one person get two off? Gets he gets two false start penalties on back to back plays, and then you saw from the hard knocks thing when they were walking off the field at the end of it when they lost. Kyler Murray goes, how many pre-snap penalties do we have? I think they had like six or seven. And I think uh, Mr. Billy Price, the price is wrong, Billy. I think uh, he had like three or four of them. And, you, okay, I all right. Center is probably the hardest position on the line. Can you agree, right? You're expected to be perfect. You, you get none of the praise, but you're ex- you're expected to be great every single snap, right? Yeah. And then when you're not great, just like any offensive lineman, when you're not great, then they start talking about you. So when you're doing good, no one talks about you because that means you're doing good. You're doing your job. You're not doing anything wrong. He is the worst. And we're over here trading for another... It's a flag football team. We're trading for another wide receiver when you're, you're yeah. center. Your Rodney Hudson hasn't played at all. Well, he played a little bit, right? But... How about you trade for an offensive lineman? How about you get a veteran center in here, which I guess they thought they were doing that with Billy Price because I think he was a first-round, second-round pick or something, whatever. Um, but he has just been horrible. I, I don't know. And he's going to play again, right? How do you play with somebody that can't even snap the ball on time? And then it goes back to where's the discipline? If I saw that shit this week and I was Cliff, I'd say, hey, Kyler, you're hanging out with your buddy Billy all week, <laughs> and you guys are going to be snapping the fucking ball, and you're going to get on the same rhythm, right? Because it's like, what's going on? Where's that accountability? Yeah, you know. Because I get it. Like maybe I get where the Cardinals are often in the shotgun, so you're having to snap it rather than just having the quarterback under center. Like that's a different ball game. I get it. But when you're a center in the NFL, you got to be able to do that shit on a consistent basis. And I'm with you. I would say the same thing. If I'm Cliff Kingsbury, it's like you and Billy are going to be working late tonight, getting on the same page because that's just what has to happen, especially when you're Kyler Murray this season, having just signed that big ass contract. I mean, Mike, what do you think, bro? Like, what do you thought? What do you I see you grinning over there. What are your thoughts on the O-line? It's just funny to realize that he was such a high draft pick. I'm pretty sure he was a first round draft pick. Billy? Yeah, I think he was yeah. by the Billy. <laughs> I'll and, give you a dollar to kill me, Billy. And the and the truth for offensive linemen is there's gonna be false start penalties. There's gonna be times where the defensive line draws you off sides. That's part of the game if you play for long enough. But the continued snaps over the head, the just <laughs> comical type of it's killing us uh false starts where literally everybody else is on the same page <laughs> but you without snapping the ball and then you do it back to back i mean you just don't see that from a true professional 
And poor guy, I mean, I don't know anything about him except for the tape that he has with the Arizona Cardinals. So the only thing I have to go off of is he's a guy that you can't trust. And as soon as you start to get other guys healthy, he's on the bench unless you need just immediate fillers. Like, I can't have guys like that on the field because you become a detriment to your team. And to this offense that has already been struggling in pretty much every every facet. Being able to throw the ball downfield, being able to spread the the field in general, being able to run the football. And now you have guys who can't snap the ball properly. I mean, Come on. it's just all compounding all at once. And yeah. all I can say is poor guy because I, I don't know anything about him. But all I know is that he freaking has sucked. He was the 21st overall pick in 2018. Wow. By the Cardinals or? No, to the Bengals. By the Bengals. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then he got traded to the Giants two years later, and he got cut. And then we signed him. Uh, we signed him off the the Raiders practice squad. Oh my god! So we're signing players off of one of the <laughs> one of the another worst bad team in the NFL. We're taking it, their practice squad players. I mean, and there's a comment that we've talked about plenty of times in regards to well, what's the actual longevity of players in the NFL, you know, guys who are kind of position players who aren't your stars, but just guys who play. It's probably, what, three to five years, right? Something like that. And yeah. this is Billy Price's fifth year, fifth year, yeah, and he's already year. been on four different teams. Like, that should tell you right off the bat. I mean, it's a guy who is probably okay enough to play in the NFL but not good enough to be scratching it out on teams and staying around significantly because he makes mistakes to end up running himself out of town so to be on four teams within five years how many chances do you get it kind of shows you what kind of player you are you know absolutely you you just hope that he steps up and starts to really play well and hold that position because we need him to and it's going to be hard if the offensive line continues to struggle and Kyler Murray can't get the ball downfield. But just to look at the Cardinals' schedule coming up in the next five weeks, they're going to be at the Rams in Los Angeles. Then they'll be down in Mexico City against the San Francisco 49ers, be back at home against the uh, Chargers, and they'll have their bye week finally. They'll need that break, and I'm very much looking forward to that for them. But then after that, I think um, between now and then, then the next time we'll record a podcast, then they'll be back at home still against the New England Patriots. So a tough schedule and some some competition I, I, I personally worry about. I think it's going to be a hard-fought game tomorrow against the Rams. I think it can be close. Uh, I think the Cardinals could win that game, but we're going to have to see. The 49ers are a really tough team, but that aspect of being on the road in Mexico City is an interesting prospect. It could, it could be could make it kind of a toss up, but we've seen Christian McCaffrey just playing really well since he got traded there, and and they're kind of really firing all on all cylinders. So very interesting. The the Chargers, honestly, Los Angeles Chargers, not the team that we've expected them to be. Um, kind of struggling a little bit. Justin Herbert is is good, but that game could be close. Also, if if the Cardinals really start getting momentum and playing well going into that game. And then, like I said, that bye week there is going to be much needed after after that schedule of being on the road, one game at home. But then the Patriots, another team that 
week in and week out, they they will compete and they'll they'll fight. Mac Jones is a good quarterback, and and even their backup, Cody. Who's their who's the Patriots backup? Bailey Zappi. I don't like coffee. He doesn't like coffee. Bill Belichick doesn't like coffee. Oh, Bill Belichick doesn't like coffee. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> I just I don't know. The Patriots always seem to find a way, and that could be a team where we really have to bring our A game, and and really is some stiff competition. As are kind of all these teams. I mean, for the next five, like I said, and I highlighted, the bye week is really going to be welcomed. I think by a lot of Cardinals fans, myself included. But Mike, I want to kick it over to you one last time for the Cardinals. What are you thinking of the next five weeks here for them? It's tough to sit here and look at the schedule and be in the predicament that we're in. Basically looking and stating, man, the Cardinals really should have a shot at all of these games. But they haven't proved anything to us. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of low right now, right? I'm not at the bottom of the barrel, but I'm kind of low. I think one thing that's crazy to also realize is three of the next six games are going to be on primetime television. You know, you got the Niners on Monday night on November 21st in Mexico city, two weeks after on December 12th, we're playing the Patriots on Monday night. And then two weeks after that, we're playing Tom Brady and the Buccaneers on Christmas day on Sunday night football. So, I'm sure they did that because of Hard Knocks, so they can kind of incorporate that into the HBO films and and see all the glitz and glamour that kind of comes with that. But this team has the ultimate uproad battle to try and get into any kind of playoff position. Right now, all of our hopes and dreams are very, very dim. But it's got to start tomorrow against the Rams. Mm Mm-hmm. Hopefully against uh, not Matthew Stafford. And who's the backup for the Rams, Cody? <laughs> the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> John, Wolford. John, Wolford. John Wolford. Formerly of the Arizona Hot Shots. So, uh, you know, I, I, I keep saying this kind of stuff. Hopefully you can get a win, win to get some momentum going forward. Blah, 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 blah. But this is a big one. You just game at a time, dude. You have to get this win, especially for what they did to us in the playoffs last year. Got to get a win in Los Angeles and see what happens after that. Yeah, they got to get it. They got to get it done. The Cardinals got to start winning some of these games, no matter if the competition is tough or not. These are winnable games. They are a good team, especially on paper. And we've talked about the offensive line and their struggles, but the Rams are struggling too. The Chargers are struggling too. The Patriots are not the world beaters by any means yeah they have an above 500 record but they're fallible um these next five weeks could be pretty good i'd like to see them at least be three and two in these next or i guess they only have four games so two and two uh, or three and one even better i'd like to see them at least be two and two though uh i just don't know though it's it's tough like mike you mentioned the HBO hard knocks cameras and how the schedule might have been impacted by that and i think there's a lot to save for that and so I hope they get used to the cameras being around and get used to the tough schedule and just embrace it and really buckle down and turn the corner because otherwise it's going to be a very very ugly and embarrassing season uh but Talman I, I want to just ask you did you have any last thoughts on that yeah um I mean I like how positive you are with it um I mean 
we already lost three division games. Uh, we're 0-3 in the division, and this is our last one that's going to probably be winnable. So, I don't know. I, I like uh, I like your optimism about it, but I'm not feeling the same. I'm going to be really negative, and um, I think we get beat by all four of those teams. So 0-4 through 0 this next stretch? Yeah, that's we're not going to be able to beat the Niners. Um, if we can pull together a win tomorrow over the Rams, great. Um New England, we're gonna lose. It's it's gonna be rough. So, um, yeah, it, I, I think it'll be interesting to see when we convene again in December and check in again on where the Cardinals are at. Um, but you will continue to check in. I mean, week to week basis, we do our live streams on Valley Sports Plug YouTube, so you can check in with us there. Where we'll, we'll be talking about the Cardinals, but we'll also be talking about the Suns. Check out biweekly. Uh, recaps of the Suns and everything they have going on and and you won't want to miss it because we'll really break down everything from their play on the court to their schedule and what's really happening injuries and more and that's what really what we're trying to do here with Valley Sports Plug is bring you all the best Valley Sports content bring you an alternate perspective and an uncensored perspective we have no sponsors we have no backing or anyone telling us what to say or what to do you can tell uh, because some days we're we're trying to keep it clean and family friendly and other days i'm calling cliff kingsbury some derogatory terms a punani uh some some disrespectful words but i think the criticism is warranted for guys like cliff kingsbury and i'm gonna call it like i see it and um i would love to be proven wrong i'd love for cliff kingsbury to turn the corner and really start making an impact but just to make a quick transition uh, and on the Suns topic, Mike, have you seen the city uniforms that dropped? I did. What'd you think? You know what, man? I'm digging them. I I, re- I, I agree. Really am digging them. Yeah, that turquoise is clean, man. It's like really reminiscent. Um, it's not exactly like the car, like the Diamondbacks uh, turquoise. It's a little bit darker, mm-hmm. but I. I I like it. I do. I think it's it's very interesting. And I look at, at the the city uniforms around the league, and I think the Suns might have one of the better ones. Uh, I think there are some really good ones. Um, I, I'll try and get those in the YouTube video. I think I, I saw a screenshot of all of them. But overall, I, I there's a lot of symbolism uh, in the in the feathers around. It's all the different Navajo or not necessarily Navajo nations, but all the Indian tribes and nations in Arizona represented on this Arizona, I'm sorry, Phoenix Suns uniform. And, and it's just really cool. I mean, Tallman, have you seen this? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's really cool. Where are the feathers at? I think around the Suns logo. I mean, I think they're on the shorts primarily. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like the belt type deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, on the belt. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, turquoise. <laughs> I think my favorite part about it is the symbolism with it, right? Yeah, that's that it's it is, that it's yeah. paying tribute to the 22 tribal nations of Arizona. Oh, look, so, you can get this one. It's just I like it. It's it's a it's a really cool nod to the Navajo people and and all those tribal people that we have here in Arizona, and it's something different. It's kind of you know, it's definitely something that we haven't really seen from at least the Phoenix Suns in regards to differentiations with jerseys but i've been very very happy and impressed with the jersey the new jerseys that have been brought up this year obviously we paid tribute to the 92 93 sons that went to the championship against 
uh, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, which is just classic. That sunburst will always be, you know, one of the best in regards to the 90s NBA jerseys. Yeah. The all black uh, jersey that we have this year, which basically kind of took place for the Valley as well. I know the Valley was technically the city jersey, mm -hmm. but that one is super clean as well. And the the white and purple ones that we've had the past couple of years have been pretty clean and tight. And then to add something like this, it just gives you, you know, different diversity that you can have on the floor. I know they changed the actual hardwood as well to kind of fit within those jerseys when oh, wow. they play at home as yeah. well. So I've been uh, very impressed and I'm definitely excited to see them put those on for the first time. I think coming up next week. Wow, that soon. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I mean, like I said there a little bit, like the Diamondbacks have the turquoise. I don't know if that was necessarily directly to be a tribute to the tribal nations, but Arizona does have a very rich history of of Native American culture. And I think it's really awesome that these teams are incorporating this. Like, Tallman, what do you think? What would you think about the Cardinals doing an alternate jersey that incorporated some turquoise? Mm. Idea of it sounds great. I just I couldn't picture it. Like what what the execution would look like. Yeah, the Cardinals yeah. with the turquoise jersey. I don't know. Well, I think it would probably be like more Maybe. turquoise trim. Yeah, yeah. You could do like a black with turquoise trim or something. Oh, man, I hate their black jerseys. What if that was the color rush <laughs> uniform? <laughs> Solid turquoise. turquoise, like the Dolphins turquoise. Holy yeah, right. Moly. Oh, Lord. I don't know. I just I couldn't picture it. I mean, like I said, the whole uh, background to it and uh, what it would stand for is great. It's a great idea, but I just, I don't know. I don't know if I could, I could picture it. I don't know if I would be a fan. For the Cardinals, I'm kind of in the camp where I think they need a little bit of a rebranding reset. You think so? I think they do. And it's going to be hard because what? You're a Cardinal. Like, how can you really change that logo? But just like the color patterns on some of their uniforms, like they're red and white where it's predominantly white jerseys. Like, I've never really been a fan of those. It's either all red or all set colors for me. Like, I think that looks way cleaner than some of the like pockets that they've done with their jerseys. Basically, and it's basically been the same stuff since 2006. Yeah, their jersey. You know what I mean? Like, even throughout their entire history, their jersey hasn't really changed that dramatically. I mean, it's either all one color or all the next. Like, they do have some cool alternates, like the all black. Uh, I like that, unlike Tallman, but. I, I don't know. I like the, the all black's cool, but like they wear the black jersey with the white pants. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, they, that's. I don't, that, like, I don't like that. I, I'm not yeah. a fan of the black helmet either. They, the new helmet? They yeah. just finally released a new helmet, and a new alternate helmet. So they're trying to kind of start. <laughs> making some changes in that regard but yeah the black helmet i, like the I only want i only want the black helmet if it's with all black jerseys yeah see that would be cool that would be sick like yeah I'm because, black tops black bottoms yeah. because either than that it just kind of looks a little bit out of place like, like it's too top heavy when they yeah. do the black or, jerseys with the black helmet and then the white pants yeah i'm with you though. or they wear um the black jersey with the red pants do you remember that oh I, I don't remember seeing they that. did that one time it was weird that, that is a weird combo. But I like the all red. All red is The all red is, red is yeah, clean. That the all is, red, you can't go wrong. Can't beat that. I just think they need... It's It's been long enough. It's been long enough. They need to do a little bit of a change. And not just changing the helmet color to black. I'm saying restructure the logo just a little bit. You don't have to go too crazy. 
change up some of the main color patterns that you have for your jerseys and do a little bit of a rebranding. Yeah. I, I don't think it's that hard to ask. Let me ask you this. What would you guys think if they had an alternate helmet that just had the Arizona flag on it? That'd be cool. Like the way that they used to have in the 90s, that patch, the yeah. Arizona yeah. flag yeah. patch on, their, on yeah. their jerseys. I like that. I always love that. I don't understand how you couldn't keep that in the stuff that you have now. It's so easy to incorporate. And I it's know. like a sense of, yeah, I don't know. I really like that too. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. And I think that it's an interesting conversation to have when you're thinking about alternate uniforms. And, of course, they have to conform to the NFL standards and what they allow and the people they spar- they sponsor and partner with, whether it's Nike, uh, Reebok, Adidas, whoever's making the jerseys at the time. I think it's Nike right now making the NFL jerseys, right? Nike has a pretty strong, hold, pretty strong hold on the market. A lot of NBA teams are either Nike or Jordan, as far as I know, but... Uh, Adidas gets in there. I don't know. Anyway, I, I really do like the new Suns alternate jerseys and, and the incorporation of the turquoise. And I think it would be really cool if the Cardinals did the same type of thing. Uh, of course, the Diamondbacks do have some some turquoise in their original and they still pay homage to that. So it seems like it's kind of a Valley trend. So I, I, I'd like to see it. And, and speaking of which, and Valley trends, the uh, Arizona Coyotes have the Kachina jerseys and they kind of pay homage a little bit in that way and to kind of transition into that i have this article from arizonasports.com and it it starts out here the tempe city council voted thursday to schedule and prepare for a may 16th 2023 public vote on a proposed arena and entertainment district that will be the future home of the arizona coyotes under law, it's required the city makes a public call for a special election 180 days ahead of the special election. Before the special election happens, the city council itself at the end of the month, this at, I'm sorry, at the end of this month, must approve three things: a development and disposition agreement, a general plan amendment, and a zoning amendment. The Tempe City Council has scheduled meetings for November 22nd and November 29th. If any of those items do not pass, then there would no, be no need for a public vote in, in May. So uh, what do you guys kind of think? I know I don't live in Tempe. I'm kind of out here a little bit out east. Uh, so is so is Tallman. But Mike, you're kind of out in that area, in the Chandler-Tempe area. So what, what's your thoughts on the potential entertainment district and, and proposed Coyotes Arena? I feel like it only makes sense because we've tried the experiment in Glendale for a team that plays multiple times a week and it just hasn't come to fruition i think the cardinals are successful in glendale because it becomes an all-day event if you go to a cardinals game right you're going out there early you know there's going to be some traffic Mm -hmm. but you're going out there early to either go grab a bite to eat maybe do some tailgating then get into the uh, stadium a little bit early see the sights and sounds maybe check out the team shop and then watch the game and go home after and it's really an all-day event whereas some of us here on the east side it's really hard to make that trek out there especially if you have games at 6 30 7 o'clock trying to fight that rush hour traffic to get out there is near impossible and we've seen the problems that have come with that in regards to attendance with the coyotes yeah and it's tough because arizona with the warm weather climate hockey is just not you know, at the top of our list in regards to favorite types of sports, but trying to get it more centralized, especially in Tempe with Arizona State, if you can kind of find a way to get 
younger people to those games, to that entertainment district, it just makes sense. I mean, I know Tempe Marketplace is still a booming place. You know, after the pandemic, they've started to really grow once again. And to have something that's close by there, it just only makes sense. So when this vote comes about for the people of Tempe, I wouldn't be surprised to see it passed, especially for those kids who went to ASU and ended up staying in Arizona and who are a little bit younger and finally get the opportunity to vote on some things here in Arizona because they've made it their home. Yeah. I I just wouldn't be surprised. It makes sense. Absolutely. 100%. It brings in other people from surrounding cities, Chandler, Gilbert, Mesa, uh, all all the surrounding Valley cities, whereas I totally agree where you're saying... It's an it's a whole weekend excursion. You ha, you plan your whole Sunday around going to a Cardinals game, and there's only eight or I guess maybe nine of them now a season. Uh, these home games that you go to for the Cardinals, whereas a, a Coyotes season, they, it's a lot longer, and they they will have many many home games, and it's not easy to go out to Glendale on a Tuesday night when you live in the East Valley. It's just not it doesn't make sense. So to have them up in in Tempe, I think would be an incredible opportunity. And even where I live out in the Far East Valley, out in like the Queen Creek, Santan area, um, it, it would still be a potential opportunity for me to make it out there. Um, even though I, I, I mean, I get used to the drive. I'm sure, I'm sure Tallman can attest he's out this way too, but oh yeah, uh, Tallman, would, would you go to more Coyotes games if they build this entertainment district and, and spend some time out there? Yes. And I say yes now, but it's like, well, how come we don't go to more Suns or D-backs games? Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, it's Tempe's not downtown Phoenix. Um, but yeah, that would be exciting to have them a little closer to home. Um, oh, I wish they would have done that when I lived in Tempe. Man, like 10-minute yeah. drive, go watch the Yotes game. so close. Yeah, 10-minute drive for a $10 ticket. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that would have been fun. I think it's it, it would be great. Um, I, bet you they, I bet you they approve it. Are they going to build it? What's the proposed site? Is it still Big Surf or oh, do they that's a throw out question. any locations? Let me see if, uh, if there's, not, there's not a lot of room to build in Tempe, especially something so big. Well, I guess they also mentioned in the same article on ArizonaSports.com that the city of Phoenix and Sky Harbor Airport have strongly pushed back against the proposed arena. The parties even sent citizens of Tempe, Scottsdale, and Phoenix mailers pushing against the proposal. The land at Priest Drive and Rio Salado Parkway oh. uh, sits under the flight path. So that's, I think, kind of by the, the um, the um, what do you call that? Is it the mall where, like, Dave & Buster's is? and Tempe Marketplace. Tempe Marketplace. Is that kind of up where that area is? Priest yeah, Drive and Rio Salado. What did you say, Priest and Rio Salado? Yeah. Um, it says it's underneath a flight path, and the entertainment district's plan includes a 160000 plus multifamily homes and the federal aviation administration has strongly labeled as incompatible due to airplane noise that doesn't even make sense Uh, yeah so they're building more houses and also building an arena development well i mean the flight paths are going to be going right over those that housing so i could understand how it'd be tough because Uh, of the noise just from the jets but maybe asu should just make that all student housing (laughs) You can have those college kids in there. I mean, they're rowdy as hell anyway. Yeah, they don't give freaking a shit. Care. They don't care. Yeah. Just build the arena then. Why do you need fucking apartments? Like, what? Dude, you know what's crazy? They also There's mentioned... There's a hotel right there. You, what? 
Right. Right underneath the flight path. What are they talking about? And I don't see what a residential neighborhood or whatever residents would have to do with a propo- an arena proposal. Because an arena being in the flight path, obviously that has, doesn't have anything to do with noise. So I don't know why they would care about that. But also, I think it's interesting and important to note here. Uh, according to this, the Coyotes will invest $2.1 billion in private funds into the proposed development. Was that with a B? With a B. $2.1 billion. They have that much money? Where are they getting this money? Uh, which is a very solid question. In because private of, funds. Exactly, because of all the problems <laughs> that, that they've had wow. with their funding over the past couple of years. It's basically the reason why they were kicked out of the arena they were in. But, you know, new entertainment district means new people who want to come and check it out, right? More travelers, more people who are coming to Arizona to check out the new toys that you got. Yeah. Right? So that's why you spend that money for the overall investment that can go into the future. And that not only helps with building hockey as a brand within Arizona with this cool new entertainment district, but it helps keep Arizona in the limelight for things like the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, Yeah, you have the Super Bowl out in Glendale, but, you know, down the line, when Arizona eventually gets the Super Bowl again, which we have this upcoming year... Mm -hmm you have another area, an entertainment district, where you can have all of these parties, all these Super Bowl-sponsored things. You know, more events, more boxing craziness like Jake Paul or whatever. You know, like just the opportunity to have a more centralized area where people will want to go because it's not completely out of their way. Will it Will it adjust some traffic and different things like that? Yes, but... It's something more centralized to the East Valley, which we don't have right now. Everything is True. either Phoenix or West Side in regards to our major sporting events. So if we can get something out here, man, sign me up. I think the crazy thing right now is since the Coyotes are playing in Mullet Arena, which is the new Arizona State hockey facility, trying to get tickets for that is like basically good luck like you got to have some good connections really? or you got to be ponying up yeah it's small it's small i, know I think it's, it's small yeah i think it's five thousand seats so they're selling out every single night probably. but they're selling out because it's a new it's a new it's thing so intimate. Right? it's the new thing yeah it's the new thing 100%. it's intimate you're right on top of the ice basically and i feel like we've been seeing tickets no cheaper than 200 250 wow, that would be such a good time i'm not no way i'm paying that much to go see him yeah, probably not. Got it. I'd probably have to get cut a good deal. When is Valley Sports Plug going to get press passes? <laughs> well, make sure you're tuning in. We might get there oh one day. God. Yeah, we're putting all this content up on YouTube. We got some content on TikTok. We're always posting on Twitter and Facebook to let you know when we're streaming, when we're posting. Like I said, we got a lot of content going on. We're going to give you recaps of the Suns and the Cardinals. Um, who knows? Maybe even when the D-backs kick off their season, we'll start doing some recaps of what they got going on. More more probably on a month-to-month basis, but we'll see. Uh, also, make sure you're tuning in. Like I said, we do a lot of content during the week. Every every week, we try and do at least one live stream. We got the Heat Check Podcast live, which is the partner to this podcast here. We also got the Valley Sports Plug Roundtables, where we bring on all our friends. You know, Ian, my brother. He's been, he hasn't been on in a while, Matt. 
uh, Davey, uh, you know, you know all the guys. Ben Miller, Ben Miller out in Texas, and uh, much more. We're gonna have more content. We even got a guy uh, that might come on and talk some uh, Arizona Cardinals. I'm sorry, Arizona Coyotes and and hockey with us. Uh, so, so I mean, just be looking out. That's all I'm saying. But guys, this has been so much fun. This is the Heat Check Podcast. Um, Tallman, I want to I want to ask you, do you have any last words, anything else you'd like to say before we head out? I the only thing I have to say is who the fuck do they think they are charging $350 for a ticket to a college <laughs> arena for the Coyotes? It's the hottest ticket in town, brother. You got to be kidding me. No, you know what the hottest ticket in town is. It's not the Coyotes ticket. It's the Tallman ticket, baby. It's the Tallman um, ticket. I didn't believe Mike at first, but holy hell. Okay, maybe I'm not going to a Coyotes game anytime soon. Maybe not till they build that uh, entertainment district. Yeah, right? Yeah, please build it so I can afford a Coyotes ticket. Didn't think I'd ever say that in my life, but, uh, but yeah. Tallman, last thing I want to ask you, though, um, before I pass this over to Mike for his last thoughts. Uh, by the time I get this podcast uh, edited and out, the game tomorrow will probably be over. So the Cardinals, will they beat the Rams? Oh, shit. Yeah, yes. I think I think we pull it out. If we don't, all right. And you're listening to this, Cliff Kingsbury is going to be fired. He that you have if to. They lose. He loses his job. I don't disagree, but I I don't also. I think know. they have a chance to win. Though. I don't know. I think they have a chance to win. I'll be optimistic. I bet you we win twenty-four to seventeen. With Colt McCoy leading the charge. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> that it's either that or it's going to be like a fucking uh 10 to 9 game or something yep 9 to 6 yeah, nine no to touchdowns six. 9 to 6 no touchdowns 9 to 6 all right michael benjamin last thoughts what are you thinking well as always we love y'all we appreciate y'all make sure you follow us on socials make sure you stay tapped in we got a lot of awesome stuff coming up as well chris tallman i love y'all appreciate y'all more than i could ever express well, i love you too but Cardinals, let's get some momentum. I want to keep seeing some cool stuff on Hard Knocks, getting to learn some of these guys. Hopefully not so much crying. <laughs> but that's it, man. I like it. I like it. And I, I can't I couldn't have said it better myself. So for the fellas here, Michael Benjamin and VSP Tallman, I'm Chris Patrick. This was the Valley Sports Plug. Uh, heat check podcast and we will see you next month for the final episode of the year and we will continue on to into the future so thank you guys for sticking with us and tuning in and until next time peace